Hello, this is Donna Reish of Character Inc. Publishing Company and Raising Kids with Character Parenting Seminar. Welcome to another episode of Wondering Wednesday, an episode of a podcast in which we answer your questions about parenting, homeschooling, marriage, language arts, teaching, and more. This week's questions have to do with our Raising Kids with Character Parenting Seminar. Many of our podcast episodes refer to this parenting seminar that we do for homeschoolers as well as for Christian parents in general. It can be set up through churches, small groups, homeschool groups, and so on. Many of the workshops are also available for us to do at homeschool conventions. Anyway, the questions that we had about the seminar specifically were many of the terms and concepts that we refer to in our blogs, posts, as well as in our Facebook statuses, our memes, and our audio podcast each week. And so we thought we would just clear up a lot of the confusion about the different terminology and the concepts that we refer to in one podcast episode. So today, we, I'm going to summarize many of the things that you might be hearing in other podcast episodes so that you will know the terminology that we use and be able to learn more from our podcast episodes as well as from our blog posts. Hopefully, you have your handout in front of you, Terms and Concepts from Raising Kids with Character Parenting Seminar. I'm going to go through this two-page handout in the order that it is given describing and expounding upon the various terms. The first term that you'll hear us talk about a lot is that of parenting paradigms. Paradigms are, of course, nothing more than what you believe, how you think. It is important to note in parenting that what you believe about parenting, about children, about original sin, about discipline, about what the Bible says, about those things all come together and have a great bearing on how you parent. In other words, with parenting paradigms, what you believe becomes an action. You act on what you believe. A good example of this is what you believe about toddlers. If you believe that toddlers are still babies with the same needs at age 12 months that they had at age 3 months, then you will parent that toddler in a different way than if you believe a 12-month-old toddler can start learning to obey and can start learning to sit in a high chair and those type of things, and that his needs are not the exact same as they were when he was an infant. And that some that the needs and wants are different now, then you will parent differently. Another example is if you believe that we are all born with a sin nature, and that includes our children, and that it is up to us as parents to teach them right from wrong, you'll parent completely differently than if you believe that children are a blank slate and that there is no original sin within them. 
So the parenting paradigms are different in various areas of parenting. You'll hear us talk about those. You have certain paradigms about lying, for example, and how you handle lying will be based on what you believe about it. A different, your paradigms about contentment, about submission and obedience in children, what you believe should take place will have a direct bearing on how you parent. The next term I'd like to discuss is reverse engineering. Reverse engineering is nothing more than deciding on the end goal and seeing what steps it will take to make that goal, to lead up to, to finally reach that goal. We use reverse engineering with our children all the time. In a very practical way, we tell our children, for example, okay, you're going to do this today in math, and you need to do this in language arts. And then they remind us, oh, yeah, and don't forget, I have to write a lesson for um, my ministry tonight. And also, my brother said, if I don't clean my room, I'm going to sleep. I have to sleep in, on the couch. And so we bring all of these things together, whatever he thinks he needs to get done and what we know he needs to get done. We give him time limits. We say, how long will each thing take? We say, okay, at four o'clock, you're being picked up for youth group or whatever, band practice. And so then we go backwards from that four o'clock. We add up each period of time that we have allotted for all the things that he and we think he needs to get accomplished. And we see what time he needs to start. Then we build in flex time and so on and so forth. That's a very practical example of reverse engineering with our children. We use reverse engineering all the time when we are running errands. You know, I'll say, okay, we want to be at this point at 6 o'clock. Um, we're going to go to a dance that's up north, and it starts at 6 o'clock. It takes 30 minutes to get there. We need to go to Sam's. That will take one hour. We need to go return something at Kohl's. That will take 30 minutes. We need to run into the hospital and drop something off to our daughter. That will take 30 minutes at work. And then we add that all up and we get a start time. Well, that is very similar to reverse engineering and parenting, except we decide on our end goal, whether our end goal is a small goal, like all sitting down at the table, eating dinner, three nights a week. And then we have all of these steps that will lead up to that end goal. And those are the things that we need to do in order to accomplish that goal. So we start at the goal, we go backwards. Or it could be something as big as, you know, our our two-year-old will be, we will break him of saying no or of slapping his sister or whatever it might be. And then you go backwards from that. What steps do you have to take in order to make that goal a reality? Next on the chart, we have two columns, foolishness and childishness. You'll hear us talk about this a lot in our parenting seminar. It is one of the pivotal um, concepts that we teach in Raising Kids with Character, as well as in many of our parenting and um, child training workshops. And the reason it is so important is because we should not group all behaviors bad behaviors together into one category and discipline them all equally. This is very frustrating for a child 
And it is also not a biblical concept because things are not even, behaviors are not even, and it and they're not explained in the Bible as being even. And it also does not help our child with his inner conscience and with the heart pricking that we want to take place within our child whenever certain behaviors are exhibited or certain attitudes or actions. If everything is equal, then all of a sudden it's really become, the child can become dulled in his senses towards, say, lying or disrespect or disobedience or hurting others or whatever that might be because it's the same thing as leaving my clothes on the floor. And so because of that, we have, we delineate foolishness versus childishness. Foolishness, we believe, comes from the heart. Foolishness are those behave foolishness beha- foolish behaviors are those that are not forgetfulness, not things that we do because we're learning to become a better person or more responsible person or whatever, but they are things that are deep within us that are deep within our child, that we can actually reach into the child's heart and help mold and train that heart to love goodness, to love kindness, to love honesty, to obey, those type of things, as we look at foolishness as, as very serious issues as opposed to just another, another misbehavior. So foolishness comes from the heart, whereas childishness, on the other side, is simply undeveloped character. Childishness is irresponsibility, forgetfulness, not following through, not being neat, not um, being thorough, not using resources wisely, not having good time management, um, not making wise decisions on the spur of the moment like, you know, should I... uh, do a certain thing that's just on a whim. Those are all undeveloped character. Those are things that we can actually train in our children. Foolishness, on the other hand, involves four D's. Disobedience, that is willfulness, lack of submission, um, doing not doing what we say or doing what we do not say to the child. Disrespect to parents, to those in authority, to grandparents, to leaders and elders. Deceit. This falls under lying, dishonesty, stealing, um, cheating, those type of things. And destruction. Things that fall under this include destroying something on purpose, willful destruction, not breaking things on accident. That's a childish behavior. Destruction can also be harming another person on purpose. So the four D's come from the heart. Those are foolish behaviors. Those are behaviors that we need to take seriously. Those are things that we need to work on and and to develop in our children and punish when they um, need to be punished. Childishness, on the other hand, are traits that can be trained and developed through teaching, rewards, and consequences. For example, a childish behavior 
of a child leaving his bicycle in the driveway repeatedly. We can train the child through teaching about responsibility, through um, teaching about ownership and what that involves. We can reward him for putting it away, set up a system of rewards, and then we can also provide consequences when those things are not done after a period of time of rewards. But disobedience, on the other hand, should not be handled with a sticker chart. It should be handled with, with heart training, with teaching from toddlerhood about these areas of submission and obedience, and with punishment for those types of behaviors. Foolish behavior should be treated very seriously. They should be, our children should know that they're different than spilling milk or not cleaning his room. And the foolish behaviors are the ones that we actually begin with in our parenting seminar because those are the ones that we can actually teach our child at age two to not run the other way when we call to not tell us no, to not hurt another person, to not um, say that he didn't do something when he did. Those type of things, are those are the things we begin early, and then we add on the other character qualities later on. All right. When we talk about foolishness and childishness, they also, as I said, require two different kinds of discipline. We talk about foolishness requiring heart parenting, whereas we talk about consequences as requiring smart parenting. Heart parenting for foolishness is always heart training and always punishment or discipline and sometimes reality discipline. So to follow one of those examples all the way through, we train a child not to say no to us when we say something, a toddler, not to say no. We, you know, we teach him obedience, we teach him respect, and we punish him when he says no. We don't give a sticker every time he doesn't say no. We punish him when he does say no. And that is heart parenting. Sometimes heart parenting will also include reality discipline. That's a term coined by Kevin Lehman in his book, Making Kids Mind Without Losing Yours, one of our very first parenting books that we read 32 years ago. Um, but reality discipline will not be like you left your sweater in the rain, it's ruined, so now you have to replace it. Uh, reality discipline when it comes to foolishness is more like um, in deceit, if something is stolen, shoplifted, that type of thing, that the reality of the situation is that he could be in very serious trouble, he has to return the item, there will be 
public humiliation, not that you will ever humiliate your child, but it will be an, an actual uh, reality of the situation. And so that's when reality discipline might come into play in foolishness and in heart parenting. Childishness requires smart parenting, ongoing training, reality discipline. The reality of the situation is you don't get this done. You don't get to do this. You don't follow through on this. You don't, you don't get to have this. And sometimes childishness training and follow through will move into foolishness. And in that, that case, it will go back and be punishable. In that regard, um, we can take one all the way through. For example, let's take the bicycle situation. Bicycle in the driveway, an eight-year-old child, whatever that might be. Um, we train. We have a sticker chart or um, a jug of quarters. You earn a quarter every night that your bike is in the garage and we bike to go get ice cream at the end of the month or whatever that might be, the reward system that you develop for that. And then consequences. Consequences, we take the bike away for a week. However, when the bike comes back and the bike continuously is left in the driveway, then we are not looking at a childish behavior anymore, but we're looking at defiance to us. We've done everything to try to train the child, try to help the child learn the value of the bicycle, the responsibility that's involved in it. We've done all of those things, but the bicycle is still continuously left out. Putting it away for a week, putting it away for two weeks is not working. Well, then we have to look at the child and say, no more bicycle in the driveway. We have helped you to learn this and you are not learning. From now on, you'll be punished every single time the bicycle is in the driveway. And then that behavior has moved from a childish behavior to a foolish behavior because it's no longer just forgetfulness. So the two types of behavior require different approaches. They also require different disciplines, different types of training, even different age groups maybe of learning them and different responses by us. We never ever want to respond at the same level. When a child lies, it should be a drastic response. When a child leaves the bicycle in the driveway, we should not have the same level of response as we do when a child lies. All right, another term that you'll hear a lot from us is parents' responsibilities. We talk about this all the time because a lot of times we get into habits of punishing our children or having expectations of our children for things that we have not done our part first. Of course, this is talked about in Scripture. Do not drive your children to wrath. Um, but we want to be sure in every single situation of every expectation with our child that we have fulfilled every one of our responsibilities, that we have made our child able to be able to succeed. We have given him the ability to complete whatever it is, to change whatever behavior needs changed, 
to fulfill whatever we want him to fulfill. And that can only be done when we meet every one of our responsibilities first, whether it's teaching, whether it's training, whether it's being sure a nap was taken care of that afternoon, whatever our responsibilities are, they have to be met first before we can have any expectations of behavior. We always fulfill these in order to be sure that our child can obey. And we never punish a child if our responsibilities are not fulfilled. We have a good example of this just recently with my grandson, who is 15 months old. Um, We went garage sailing on a Friday morning last week, last Friday, and um, he was doing great, just as perfect and sweet as he could possibly be. And then his nap rolled around, and then it got closer to lunch, and then the pacifier was in the other vehicle than the one that we were in with Jason. And the next thing you know, he is just screaming and wailing. And I looked at my daughter and I said, normally I'm extremely strict. So, I mean, if a child has bad behavior, um, I, we raised our children with these approaches that I'm discussing here. So I'm, I always, you know, did I fulfill all my responsibilities? Once my responsibilities are fulfilled, I am strict. But I looked at my daughter and said, it's all our fault. She was like, what? It's all our fault. You know, we're the ones who knew he needed a morning nap and we insisted on dragging him around. We're the ones who did not feed him a good breakfast. We gave him a little applesauce thing that you suck up and suck the applesauce out of it and gave him bites of French toast from a little plastic container. Um, we're the ones who had, didn't keep the pacifier with us so that when he did get overly tired, he had that to comfort him. So it's our fault. We did not fulfill our responsibilities. So therefore, we can't punish a child. We can't have expectations of the child. That poor little guy was in bad shape and it was our fault. So when a child fails to meet an expectation, we have to look at our responsibilities first and be sure that they were met. All right, the next area um, I would like to talk about kind of goes back with the foolishness and childishness a little bit. Um, Definitely goes into parents' responsibilities. And it is that of parenting in black and white and parenting in the gray. Um, We tell parents that when you parent in black and white, everything is crystal clear. The child knows exactly what is expected. You have fulfilled your responsibilities. You have trained You have done everything in your power to be sure that things are clear for your child. When you parent in the gray, things are unclear. Things are too vague. Um, For example, when you parent in the gray, you might leave something open-ended. Like, you know, if you do that again, you're going to be in big trouble. Or um, you might say, um, you might be able to do your chores later in the day tomorrow. I'll get back with you on that. Well, I mean, you know, children are foolish, just like we all are. Children have a sin nature, just like we all do. We leave things open-ended, and all of a sudden, it's just really, really unclear. And then we can't train. 
We can't teach, we can't follow through, and we certainly can't discipline. I have this happen a lot uh, in my cottage classes. We have um, cottage classes in which my grown children and I um, and my husband sometimes, uh, when he can get away to teach a class, we teach 240 different student slots each year in different areas for homeschoolers. And when a child misses a class in my complete language arts class, we have so much grayness that I just dread the next week when the child comes back. Because what happens is I try to communicate with the parent. Do you want him to do everything? You know, how many days was he sick? How many days did he not do school? Do you want him to do everything? I make a list of all the homework assignments and I give it to the parent. Well, the child comes back. And if it is not crystal, crystal clear, if I do not say, these are the four things you need to do, your mom said you don't have to do everything um, because of sickness or because of vacation or whatever, so these are the four things you must do. But if I leave it open-ended, like, do whatever your mom tells you based on how many days you do school this week, based on your vacation or sickness. Or if I say, you know, do, don't forget the most important things are spelling, dictation, and your paper. I mean, spelling and editor duty and your paper. Any kind of grayness that I leave there, a lot of times students come back and say, I didn't know I was supposed to do that, or my mom wasn't really sure what you meant by that, or we didn't really know what you wanted me to do for sure since I was sick. I have just taught, parented, if you will, in the gray, not in black and white. So therefore, I can't hold the child accountable. I can't say, well, you know, if you didn't do the grammar too... You're going to get a you're going to get a zero. I can't say, you know, papers were due today. You know, you didn't do it, and now you know you're going to have to uh, take a lower score. I can't say any of those things because I parented in the gray. Whereas if I communicate clearly with the parents, I find out exactly what their schedule is, exactly what that parent wants. I make a list, do these things for sure. These things are optional. And then when he comes back, the for sure things have to be completed. I have moved from gray to black and white. And I can carry out my grading. I can carry out my uh, review of the, of the homework. Everything is crystal clear. When we parent in black and white, we meet every responsibility of the parents. When we parent in the gray, we leave some things unfulfilled. Which is frustrating for the child. So we might say, for example, I don't want you to stay up past 1130 on a school night unless our kids don't have to get up super early. So they're, the, our teenagers are allowed to stay up later unless, you know, one of your older siblings is here, then you can stay up until midnight or whatever it might be. And so the older sibling leaves that night at 10, but the older sibling was there. So instead of saying, you know, I stayed up later because Kayla was here. Well, didn't Kayla leave earlier? Yes, she did. So instead of that, I have to say, if a sibling is here at 1130 and wants to stay until midnight and you don't have to get up until 730 tomorrow, you can stay up until midnight when that sibling leaves. It has to be completely black and white. I can't leave any of my responsibilities unfulfilled. When I parent in black and white, I can discipline, I can punish, I can follow through, I can carry out, I can expect. 
knowing that the child knew ahead of time what the expectations were and what the consequences were. When I punish in the gray, I feel badly. I can't give that child a zero, even though he might need one in order to learn a lesson about not taking advantage of his mom's confusion on his homework or whatever it might be, but I can't. And I wouldn't want somebody to do that to me anyway. And so I wouldn't do that to my, to my student or in a parenting case, I wouldn't do that to my child. Parenting in black and white, super important. All right, two more concepts and then I will wrap this up. Um, on the left, you see expectation explanations. This is one of our parenting responsibilities. This is something that allows us to parent in black and white. It is simply explaining ahead of time what is expected of your child. We do not do expectation explanations because we have to, because he doesn't have to obey if we don't. We do it because it's good parenting. We started using expectation explanations when our firstborn was just a toddler. I'm pretty sure we learned something like this that wasn't called this at Greg Harris workshops 30 years ago, 25 years ago, actually. But we started it very uh, early on with our parenting. And we just have recently, in the last 10 years or so, coined it expectation explanations because I'm all about alliteration and rhymes. Um, I am a language arts author after all. So I do love that, but it's also catchy and helps us remember that we are responsible to explain expectations to our children because it's good parenting, because it results in better behavior all the time, because it causes us to parent in black and white, forces us to clearly label things, to clearly communicate and it is just great parenting. We have so many cute examples and just so many things that have happened as a result of using this on our family, but I'll just give you a couple. First of all, our kids got so used to us when we got in the van, we would always, you know, say, okay, children, listen up. And then we would always give them our expectation explanations for whatever we were doing, wherever we were going. And it was just, it was just a habit and our kids always looked forward to it. And, um, we always taught through it. It was just a, a fabulous teaching time. But one particular time when Joshua was about nine or 10, and then that would have put his younger siblings, he had three little sisters in a row after him. So he, if he was 10, for example, that would have put the, the girls at, um, seven, six, and uh, four. And uh, one time we were about to, we were driving someplace and we getting closer and closer to where we were going and we hadn't given any expectation explanations. And Joshua said, girls, girls, be quiet. Let mom and dad talk. Okay, mom and dad, it's time for you to talk. We're almost there. It's time for you to talk. We're almost there. And he knew that we needed this time in order to regroup, in order to explain and be prepared for whatever was coming. The cutest, cutest story, which I tell every single time I speak about child training. Um, so if you've ever heard me, you probably heard it, but I can't help it. And that is that of our Josiah, who is now just recently turned 20. Um, when he was two, and so he's the sixth child, so there would have been five others above him. Um, uh, 
they are, they would have been like 11 down to his, uh, he was two. So 11 down to two or 12, uh, maybe 12 or 13 down to two by the time he turned two. So anyway, six kids, two to 13. And, um, we were doing our whole expectation explanation. When we get to Janan's graduation party, you need to stay beside us and we're just going to go in and honor Janan. And then we need to head out because we have five more parties and we need to get to each one. And later on, when we're at some of the later ones, we will stay longer and you can play with friends and you can mingle and you don't have to stay by our side. But at this one, we're just going to go in and honor Janan and come back out because of the, the ones that are right at the same time period. So we went in, did our thing, got all loaded up in the big van and pulled out of the driveway, drove down the road about a half a mile. And Josiah, who was two, said, we need to go back. We need to go back. And, you know, I just thought he'd left something there or, you know, whatever. And I, why, why do we need to go back? He said, I forgot to honor Janan. So the expectations were there. We were going in and we were honoring Janan and this sweet little two-year-old forgot to honor her. So we needed to go back and get that taken care of. Expectation explanations work in all situations. Some just real quick ones. Um, five minute warnings, you know, in five minutes, we're all going to come to the table. We used to, we had a basement and the kids would play down there at one of our houses. We had a basement and, um, when we had small group and parenting classes and so on, homeschool uh, um, support group meetings and so forth, the kids would be down there just going wild and making a mess and everything. And uh, we would always open the door and yell down, you know, five minute warning. And we could hear our kids tell everybody to be quiet. And we could hear our kids saying, we only have five more minutes and we have to clean up. And they knew, you know, that that was the expectation. Five minute warnings because nobody likes to be told, come right now, stop whatever you're doing, you know, so forth. That's an example of expectation explanations. Expectation explanations in various situations. So when you are, we always told them when we were going to grandparents' house what, you know, what they could and couldn't do. When we were going to situations with great grandparents, you know, not running, not leaving things on the floor for the for them to potentially trip over, not asking for a lot of food because great grandparents, you know, don't have a lot of food. <laughs> and, you know, just those, all those expectation explanations. We were not only parenting for that evening, parenting for that moment, but we were parenting for the future because expectation explanations go into the child's moral bank. They go in onto the, the whole line of the child's learning hooks. They hook it right onto their, their uh, clothesline there, so to speak. And they have all of these learning hooks to go back to later on. They have all of these deposits into their moral bank that they can go back into and refer to later on and that we can use as teaching later on to refer to also. All right, the very last one is kind of a long one that we won't be able to fully develop here. Um, actually, none of these are fully developed here, but and that is that of bringing in the boundaries. We talk about how um, we have boundaries around our children in terms of what they're allowed to do, in terms of their behaviors, in terms of our expectations, and we release our boundaries. They widen. A child moves from a crib to a big bed. A boundary is widened. A child moves from a high chair to a booster seat. 
and then to a regular chair. The boundaries are widened. A child moves from um, uh, going to bed at 8 o'clock with the toddlers to being able to stay up until 9 o'clock with the elementary kids. A boundary is widened. And we release those boundaries not based on age or even um, tradition as far as what we used to do. We're really, really big on traditions. But a tradition that is age-based is not a good tradition because it does not take into account the child's behavior, the child's readiness, um, the child's maturity at all. So that's a whole other matter. But we release boundaries based on readiness. And we bring boundaries in when a child shows us that the boundaries are out too far for him in a certain area. And so when we talk about bringing in boundaries, we mean, you know, we have this boundary that's wide. It might be um, being able to choose what to wear, for example. And so we say, you know, that you get something out of your drawer today because we're staying at home. You get something out of your closet today because we're going to church. And so we, we give choices because choices teach children, but we give them when they're ready for them and at their at the level that is appropriate. So we give those choices, and the, so we widen the boundaries. Instead of us, you know, laying out the clothes or telling the child what to wear, we widen the boundaries. And so we widen the boundaries to that place, but we say today we're staying home, so I want you to get something out of the drawer, and he throws a fit and he wants to wear something in the closet. Well, this is an indication to us that we have widened the boundaries too fast, too far, because he can't handle the choice of choosing something out of the drawer. And so in that case, we need to bring the boundaries in. So we say, you know what? You threw a fit about choosing something out of the closet when you were supposed to choose something out of the drawer. And so that tells mommy that you're not ready to make that choice. And so we bring the boundaries in. In other parenting seminars, they sometimes uh, call this too many choices too early, uh, which we also call it that sometimes too. Too many choices too early, we just widen the boundaries before the child is ready. We bring it back in, and the child proves his readiness, and then we widen it again. An example of this with our uh, children when they were younger was we had this big toy room, and um, we had a lot of toys because I was all about toys and all about books, um, all about learning products, art closets, all kinds of great things for our kids. Um, we don't, we never had fancy houses. We have now our vehicles are worth $500 and $1,000 respectively, but we have got the best books that you'll ever see. So, um, you know, it's all about priorities. So those are priorities to us and this huge toy room, lots of great toys. And, um, they just could not get the things put back. They were continuously leaving messes. And even after, you know, the cleaning period was over, it still wasn't neat and so forth. So we brought in the boundaries. We put sheets over all of the toys except for a very small amount of them. And that area, that little uh, area of toys was left uncovered and everything else was covered. And that is all the children could play with. And then we rolled back the sheets, took off sheets a little bit at a time as we widened the boundaries as the child show, children showed that they were ready to have the boundaries widened. To this very day, our 32-year-old says, 
one of the best parenting things you ever did was when you covered everything with sheets. You know, to him, he, he, it just made so much sense and it caused him to be more mature because we were releasing boundaries at the level, at the pace that the children were ready for them. An older example of this came with one of our kids, um, our 22-year-old now. When he was 16, he was just an amazing guy. He's, he is an amazing guy now, but he was just a ama- an amazing kid. And we took him out for his half birthday and we told him, you know what? You are just so responsible, so mature, so helpful, so diligent, so thoughtful. You know, we always praised with character qualities. You are all of these things. And we just feel like there's probably nothing that you could ask us that we would say no to, um, knowing his character and knowing what he would ask. Um, you know, you have just really proven yourself and, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're so responsible that your, um, levels of freedom are, you know, just really wide open. And it was just a few months later that he started kind of backpedaling in some things. And, um, specifically with the, his two younger brothers, how he responded to them and, um, getting mad about things. And so we told him a few months later, you know, we, these are the boundaries we're bringing back in. You know, you can't do this, whatever, you can't do that until you start showing these behavior changes. And he said, I don't get it. Three months ago, I was the most wonderful kid in the entire world. And now all of a sudden I have to go to bed with the little boys, you know, at, you know, at 930 or 10 or whatever it was when, you know, how can I go from being this, the best kid in the world to now having a bedtime again? And we just explained to him, we widened them too quickly. And you have shown us that we need to bring them back in. And so we brought them back in and then we released him again slowly. And it wasn't long at all before he was back to his normal, wonderful self. And he still is. So, um, but those are some examples of boundaries with preschoolers and then with elementary children and then with teenagers bringing in the boundaries is not a uh, an application just for small children it works in um all all ages it works for adults you know how many times do we take advantage of a situation you know that we shouldn't uh you know drag on in laziness or in um apathy or whatever it might be and, you know, don't we wish somebody would just bring in our boundaries for us sometimes and straighten us out? So that's what we're all about as parents. So hopefully some of these terms and concepts will help you um, from our parenting seminar, just in your general parenting right now. Um, but also as you read our blog, Character Inc. blog, um, as you come to homeschool workshops at homeschool conventions that maybe we are doing some of these um, seminars and sessions of and, and or that you... Uh, get to attend one of our parenting seminars or host one of our parenting seminars. We would love to hear from you um, if you would like for us to come to your area. So thank you very much for listening to another episode of Wondering Wednesday. And um, my boundaries were widened a little bit in that I figured out how to make longer podcast episodes. So just for the record, I'd appreciate it if you wouldn't tell my husband that this was over 40 minutes. So thanks a lot.